I'm Sarah Trott, and welcome to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm a new mama, and this podcast is all about postpartum care for the first few months following birth, the time period also known as the fourth trimester. My postpartum doula, Esther Gallagher, is my co-host. She's a mother, grandmother, perinatal educator, birth and postpartum care provider. Fourth trimester care, our topic, is about the practical, emotional, and social support parents and baby require. And importantly, it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. This is Sarah Trott, and welcome back to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Esther Gallagher, and we have a great episode for you today, which is to talk about a birth plan, also known as birth intentions, and more about that later. But this episode is really focused on talking about what a birth plan is, how it's beneficial, what you might want to consider including in the document, and sort of explaining the pros and cons of different aspects of items you want to include for each section. So hello. Hi, Sarah. Great to be back with you. Yeah, I would just add to that, that a birth intentions document serves a couple of purposes. I think on one hand, it helps moms and partners really begin to coalesce their vision for their birth, their desires while simultaneously perhaps if they're if they're working with someone who can be reality based with them like what the limits of our desires might be in the birth setting depending on what that is so working with a skillful birth assistant who has lots of experience can help you process in advance what you'd like your birth to be like and where you might have decision points to make. And let's talk about what a birth plan or birth intentions document is, right? It's a practical document. It's a piece of paper, maybe one or five pages long, something like that, that lists out the contact information of the mom, the dad, the pediatrician, the doula, the midwife, whoever else is there, um, your actual due date. Um, and then it lists out what what mom and dad or what what parents expecting the baby sort of want and it it it's there to sort of help the whoever's delivering the baby and caring for mom immediately after sort of know what to do without mom and dad who might be wrapped up in the moment or parents wrapped up in the moment um have to stop and kind of explain everything is that right how would you describe it i think i think that's always the hope with the um with this document is that the care providers in a hospital setting would have read it before questioning you or assuming that you want a certain kind of care. So, um, you know, once you're into active labor, it's really rare that it's actually comfortable for a mama to be able to answer questions. And partners in the moment often would like it if they can be well focused on mama. And even when they're not, um, don't necessarily have a grounding, a deep grounding in what's actually happening in the moment 
of this particular labor to be able to kind of reflect back <laughs> on what is it that this mama wants and needs? What is it that we know once she's delivered the baby, she's going to be able to look back and feel good about where are the points where it's a little more flexible, etc. So that's the idea of the birth preferences. I've heard other doulas refer to the birth plan as a semi-legal document, that it's part of your um, medical file. It's putting out to the people who are involved in your care that you want to be treated a certain way and you don't want to be treated in other ways. And so it's there to send a message in advance. Now, in actual lived experience, that's not always what happens. It's very common in my experience that every practitioner, i.e. nurse, doctors, midwives, etc., walk into the room, look at the mom, ask, do you have a birth plan? <laughs> Which sort of defeats the purpose of having the birth plan. Um, but when you have one, your partner, your doula can say, yes, we'd really prefer that you read it before you ask us any questions. And that just saves you some time, mm -hmm. you know, uh, usually, not always. <laughs> But um, part of the reason I like doing this work is I like the process of moving through the, the, the trajectory of early labor, active labor, transition, pushing, immediate postpartum, and then postpartum with my clients in those stages and talking with them about here's what it could be like, here's what it might be like, there are all kinds of permutations, how do you hang loose with this, but also move in the direction of, of your desire, whatever that is. And typically for first-time parents who are employing a doula, that's natural childbirth, whatever they have in mind that might be. <laughs> um, so we get a chance to really parse that out. I like the document strictly from the standpoint of it being a way to process in advance and get to know what we're doing together. Mm -hmm. So I think it's great for that. It's also going to be handy to have once you actually are in labor and go to the hospital if that's where you're delivering. Mm -hmm. It's fabulous as a tool to think through step by step what it might be like in order to help bring to life what the experience may be like. And it's empowering, right? Because someone who goes into their birth, they show up at the hospital with a set of ideas about what they might want. That's a lot more empowering compared to sort of not knowing. Mm -hmm. If you go in and you don't know what to expect, that can be scary. Mm -hmm. But having a, having a good conversation ahead of time of what your options are going to be, what kinds of choices you're going to have in different kinds of scenarios. That's great. Like you can go on feeling really empowered and like, you know, what's going on on the flip side. It can also potentially set expectations. Mm -hmm. And I love that you coached me to call my birth plan, my birth intentions, because I think I've said this before, when I call something a plan, I want to execute that plan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is tough. It feels like failure for something to not go exactly as planned. Mm -hmm. However, when you call it intention, that pressure or that expectation changes. It really 
makes for a different um, sort of emotional engagement with yourself, with the people who are supporting you, the medical team of people who are going to surround you. It really does, I think, while every bit is powerful, it's less to be really blunt about it. It's not shame-based, right? And so much of what women get involved in in this lifetime, especially around our sexuality, is so readily shame-based by this culture and how we do things. Mm-hmm. And I, it's very important to me, whenever possible, to really take a step back from that and say, this is life. This isn't the project, right? There's a before this and during this and an after this. And we don't get to decide every moment of it or every aspect of it. But we certainly can engage our imaginal selves and think into this and and imagine into this and, and come up with what feels right, whatever level ahead of time. And then move into that. So, yeah. I like the idea that it was a tool for empowerment in the best sense of the word. And setting a positive picture in someone's head beforehand, mm-hmm. replacing fears of the unknown with, well, here's the best ideal scenario that we want. And if it happens, that's great. And if not, that's okay too, because we've talked through those outcomes. Yeah, possibly. I think along those lines, it sets a tone for um, where the wiggle room is, where the wiggles should veer. If they, if we have to wiggle, are we going to just, you know, uh, throw the whole idea out or are we going to just try to move in the direction that's the least separate from our idea, right? Like just, you know, if somebody had the idea that they wanted to give birth naturally, and for whatever reason, they they hope not to use drugs and maybe not an epidural. And that was a goal of theirs in, in the light sense of the word. And their labor took a turn in a direction that um, meant that, you know, that wasn't going to maybe be the way that it could happen. The expectation that I think when people know that that was the hope is, okay, we're not just going to jump off the ship and go straight to the most, you know, dramatic possibility. We're going to see where, where's the wiggle room in this? How can we help this mama have as close to that unmedicated birth as possible? How can we help her get over, um, a hump in the least impactful way that might set her back on course to have the kind of birth that she had imagined. And I just think, you know, when that can be what happens, that's great. You know, it's not always what's going to be the outcome, right? We don't know what's up with that baby inside and how what they're experiencing might mediate towards a different outcome or a different path altogether. But at least if we have some sense of knowing what that is, we can make the best decisions um, for mama and baby and, and know why we're making those decisions. I think that's as important to parents' experience as um, uh, that it's a safety thing or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever's happening. 
And, you know, I think you can really speak to this, Sarah. I, I think that often when it's a first-time experience, mamas really have no idea what their labor will bring them, just none. And then they're in it, and they may or may not have the physiological, emotional, and spiritual tools that they might need, right? Or maybe they don't have just the comfort and support that they particularly might need. And there just needs to be flexibility around all that. There just needs to be emotional flexibility on the part of the mom, if possible. Like, oh, I thought I was just going to do this all natural. And that's not what's happening. I'm finding that I'm really coming up against something that I don't know that I can tolerate. I need a kind of support that goes beyond what I originally thought I would need. Maybe it's in in the form of medication. Maybe it's in the form of something else that we didn't predict. And I think we just need to be able to meet that mama wherever she actually is. I wholeheartedly agree. (laughs) It's tough to know what labor is going to be like with the first baby. I had no idea. I certainly had a good sense of what I wanted, especially after devising my birth intentions document and talking it through pretty thoroughly, both with my partner and with you, Esther. So I knew what what I wanted and what would be great, but it's it's impossible to describe until someone's experienced it. And even if I could describe my experience to someone else, like I wouldn't want them, I wouldn't want to influence their experience by put, planting ideas in their head because I think that it's going to be so different for everyone. Mm-hmm. So different. I, I purposefully didn't want to know what my mom's labor experience was like. Mm-hmm. I told her not to tell me because I wanted to go in, into my labor, having my own experience. And if there had been something that was hard for her or complicated, I didn't want to have it in my head that 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 was automatically going to happen to me because that's what I would have thought emotionally, even if it's not logical. Yeah. Well, you know, when someone's that close to us physiologically, emotionally, and socially, whatever that relationship, right? Mm -hmm. It's not easy to, um, block thoughts of how our experience being born might be our experience giving birth (laughs) somehow kind of does make logical sense that we would project into that. Mm -hmm. So, um, um, yeah, so it is, it's interesting. And we do live in a culture that where um, people like to tell uh, the, the traumatic stories. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, um, it, it's, it's, when I say like to, I think that when traumas happen, it's really natural and normal that people want to tell the story by way of trying to figure it out and come to some resolution with it, right? And in our culture, so often women who have had traumatic stories don't have a way to find that out, right? They're, they may have been given some technical terminology about what happened in their birth once and then set free with that, yeah. with no real processing. So it's understandable that they would then turn to 
other women and women who are pregnant even to tell their stories. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a mistake because what happens basically is that we're just re-traumatizing ourselves because there's no one there who actually can skillfully help us process. We're just telling our story and it's being received in ways that might be traumatic for the hearer. So again, um, <laughs> it's helpful to um, hold this process lightly in advance, um, be a little self-protective as you were, very intelligent, and, um, and let your imagination and desires for yourself, your baby, and your partner be held in a positive way. I also spent a lot of time reviewing a list of affirmations that my prenatal yoga instructor provided to a class that I took. And I'm going to bring her on in the future for another episode to talk about those. But I am a firm believer in the positive affirmation side of preparation. So on to the document. This document has three sections. We have during labor and birth. We have after birth and then postpartum, the immediate postpartum. And at the top of the document, I've got, I think, like I said, contact information for parents, doctor, pediatrician, doula, midwife, the due date, um, and just basic information. Um, and then kind of a statement uh, right off the bat. So our intention is to dot, dot, dot. Someone might know that they are going to have to have for medical purposes a cesarean. Well, maybe it would be our intention is to have a, a certain kind of cesarean. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps the intention is to have a completely natural birth. And, and there's a whole host of options in between, right? And mm-hmm. what I'm going to do, Esther and I have a template of this document that we're going to put on our website. So if you search for a fourth trimester podcast on the web, you can find it. You can find a link to this document, which you can download and edit and make your own, mm-hmm. which is probably something that I don't, I don't know if I would have had a birth plan document had I not worked with you, Esther, because you're the one who gave me this template in mm-hmm. the first place. Mm-hmm. I mean, I probably would have. Yeah. It, you know, um, these days in, at least in the Bay Area, and I dare say probably most California hospitals, when you set up your care with your obstetrician, you get put into a system naturally and wherever you're going to be delivering will give you a, a kind of a packet of information, sort of hospital interface information. Mm-hmm. And it's very common these days to have a document in that packet that is uh, meant to give you um the opportunity to state your preferences, as it were, um, appraise you of some of your choices in childbirth and give you the opportunity to write little snippets about what you want or why you want it. Um, they're not bad. And I think we would agree because we've used one as a way of kind of going through to see, okay, this is what the hospital is asking you. 
and maybe here's what they're not asking you. <laughs> um, so they're, 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 they're fine as a starting point, but remember they always sort of are communicating something. That doesn't mean it's insidious. It just means it's subtle. And so to be reminded that, you know, you are the consumer and that gives you a kind of power that you're going to move into this environment. It's totally appropriate for you to have certain preferences about how you're going to be treated and what you do when you do it. Now that means you need to um, educate yourself pretty well about those details. These days, if you take a childbirth class, especially if you take a childbirth class that's independent of the hospital, and you'll have to figure out what that means, <laughs> um, you're likely to be appraised by your childbirth educator about what all the possible options are and not just, here's how we do it here. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's a valuable tip. Yes. And... I'm coming at this from the perspective of having had a hospital birth. And there are many, many people who choose not to have a hospital birth. And I imagine a birth intentions document is valuable even in those situations as well. Mm -hmm. Right? What if someone's traveling? <laughs> and they, what if they plan to have a home birth and they're traveling? Well, maybe you'd want a document with you. And that is brilliant. And <laughs> I actually just had that instance come up. They didn't deliver during their travels, but they were very concerned about what if we go into labor before we get back. And so we talked about it and put together a plan. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. So right off the bat, at the top of the document, um, there's a little statement saying, we understand that unexpected things may occur during labor and value your expertise in supporting us through this process. We would appreciate being assigned, well, in this case, because I'd wanted a natural birth. It says we would appreciate being assigned a nurse who enjoys supporting natural birth. But I imagine we could say something like we would appreciate being assigned uh, nursing staff who can support us in our intentions, mm -hmm. regardless of what those are. Right. Right. Yeah. So also, and on a practical point, I printed out maybe three copies of this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I had several. I made sure. Yes. Yeah, uh, you you one. sent me one, of course, and um, we had extras because it's so interesting how they walk out of the room <laughs> when you hand them over to somebody. So always keep one that you don't let anybody walk away with. <laughs> mm -hmm. So during labor and birth, so the first thing is we prefer to be at home as long as possible for early stages of labor. Typical. Mm -hmm. That is typical in a in a healthy normal pregnancy. That um, you know, there's no pink or red flags of of the pregnancy that might mediate in the direction of um, maybe going into the hospital sooner rather than later. But you know, even things like sometimes your water is broken don't necessarily mean that you have to rush off to the hospital. Or get admitted if you do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The next comment is really just about what the room environment is like. I think different people will have different ideas. In this case, we have uh, create a quiet, dimly lit, and peaceful environment. And we are laboring quietly, so please don't turn on the lights when entering. 
you have the line, all repairs using focus light. And what that refers to is once the baby's out and perhaps the placenta delivered, if mama needs um, perineal tear repair, that um, they use the surgical light that can be focused down in the direction of wherever they're actually working and doesn't have to be necessarily all over mama and baby and, and partner as well. Mm-hmm. So that's what we meant by that. Right. I'm going to blast that little newborn with light mm-hmm. in a dark place. Yeah. Right. Uh, next, we want, we would like to keep the number of people in the room to a minimum. And if conversations need to happen that don't involve the parents, please hold the conversation outside the room to keep distractions to a minimum. It's good and it's good advice in general because you never know what people are going to think it's appropriate to talk about in your room. And, um, that can be upsetting to a mom in labor, not to mention just distracting that people are talking. And I think there's, I don't, I don't think we haven't mentioned in our template, but maybe there is a space for it, but would there, would it be worth listing? Uh, if someone chose to have family members or friends present at the birth, who those people are, what those relationships are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, that's not a bad idea at all. Not only that, but I have been involved with clients who have family members who have terrible boundaries and are in other ways very problematic. And, um, it, the hospital is actually charged with keeping people away from you. So that's part of their security uh, process. And so if you actually have a list of people that you know you don't want to have show up that might, um, you could, you might consider (laughs) writing that into your document and or just interfacing with the security by way of saying, you know, these people just can't, we don't want to talk to them on the phone. We don't whatever mm-hmm. so. the best intentions mm-hmm. can sometimes just not be wanted. Yeah. Right. Right. Next up, we have no plans to make video or audio recordings of our birth experience. Uh, we may take still photos from time to time. Yep. <laughs> Some people want the whole thing, uh, professionally videographed, <laughs> which is also fine. Yes. Um, there are limits. However, just FYI, uh, you're not allowed to videotape in the OR should you have a C-section without specific permission for that. Um, we asked to use the word surge instead of contraction. Yeah. Well, um, compare the two in your own mind. Surge, contraction. <laughs> One sounds kind of interesting. One sounds kind of tight (laughs) when in fact, what you're trying to do is have your cervix open, right? While that does involve a certain amount of muscle contraction, that's not necessarily how you want to be mentally and physically experiencing labor. So it's helpful if people can kind of be on a wavelength with you along the lines of what you were saying, Sarah, earlier about positive affirmation. You know, it's nice to have that um, be what people are on board with and not using language that might scare you or make you feel tight. We can talk more about that. For instance, 
I like to um, talk to mamas and their partners about sending positive messages. So rather than stop frowning, which puts the focus on the fact that you're frowning, <laughs> um, we might say something like, relax your forehead, which is a direct command, I admit. <laughs> but hopefully one that's helpful mm-hmm. and sends the message of what to do rather than what not to do, which is, which makes, takes more steps in your mind, right? Mm-hmm. First, you have to figure out that you're doing that thing. Then you have to stop doing it. Yeah. Instead of like just doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and there's also some kind of implication like that's wrong. And the last thing any woman in labor needs to feel like is there are people there sort of being critical in any way, shape, or form of what they're going through. Yeah. No way. Yeah. I mean, love and positive energy and encouragement. Next up, we said direct all questions as well as status reports that involve dilation time, quantified process, the husband or doula if possible. So mother can focus through surges. That's really just about letting other people be a buffer. Don't bug mom. Right. Exactly. Um, next, no routine IV prep. So I, IVs are, are optional. They're optional so long as mother and baby are in a healthy state. So, um, because they can be physically irritating, they can then be distracting. And so if your labor is going along healthy, normal trajectory, why invite further distraction? Now, there are lots of good reasons why a mama and her baby might need hydration and or medicine at which point it would be important to have the IV. Um, so that's why we use the routine word, no routine IV prep. Next, we said to stay hydrated, mother preferred apple juice, ice chips, and water. If the time of day is between 5 a.m. and noon, iced tea is also a good option. Mother plans to eat and drink as desired. So, I mean, in my mind, I pack like, huge picnic. And I thought it would just be that it would be necessary to eat and drink. Now for me, actually, I won't talk about what my experience was. <laughs> hold that back. Yeah. <laughs> I would say it's good to have your, keep your options open. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and by way of doula advice, if I may use a strong word like that, you know, I've had mamas who are, who are drinking and trying to stay hydrated and doing a wonderful job making that attempt and then they're nauseous the whole time and probably to use a colloquial term barfing you can't stay hard hydrated if you can't keep it down that's a situation where it might be really important to get some IV hydration and even though it seems like a medical intervention it might be the the thing that we can do for a mama that's the least intervention that can get her labor on track for a natural childbirth. So, right, I mean, dehydration really affects the uterus ability to do its job and it affects circulation. It affects everything. And so it would be sad to have a labor go really, really off the rails. 
simply because a mama couldn't stay hydrated. Mm -hmm. If she can, through normal means, then that's great. Now, a reason why you might pack that big picnic is so that your partner and your doula can stay fed in the water. <laughs> no one's going to give us an IV. <laughs> Uh, next we have the mother prefers that she not be asked about her pain level or be offered pain medication. She will ask for medication if she needs it. Okay. That assumes a mama who, in my case, it assumes a mama who has been appraised of her options prior to labor. Mm -hmm. So again, this exercise we're doing with you online is to encourage you to understand how these medications work, how they might affect you if you have previous experience with them, for instance, how they might affect your baby. Most of the things you'd be offered in a hospital setting are considered very, very safe for mama and baby. They wouldn't be using them, you know, so that you're going to be able to make good decisions if and when uh, it seems like you could use some medical support. There's mention of how pain management is planned to occur. So in this case, it says, we plan to rest in the shower with warm water on back, practice yoga and meditation. We would also like a birthing ball brought into the room if we don't bring our own. So I, I was in a hospital where I think I was lucky enough to have like access to all of that stuff if mm -hmm. I wanted it. Nice to have kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then next we said, refrain from suggesting that the mother needs to move things along. I can't imagine being in a scenario where the doctor's like, now come on, let's rush. But I guess it has to be said, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I think that there's, uh, let's see a line in here where we say, uh, she trusts that her labor will proceed at its own natural rhythm. And she prefers to use natural measures of augmentation before pitocin or other drugs. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a, this is again an interplay between you and your care providers, but the concern with a long labor is that mama, possibly baby, would become exhausted. Labor is kind of amazing for just kind of pushing you through itself <laughs> in a way. And so my, I'm always really, really supporting mamas and trying to be really relaxed, rest as much as possible in whatever ways they can rest during labor. So that should it be a long labor, everything will be fine. And it is sometimes the case that you will be encouraged or the suggestion made that your labor is just really, really gone on for a very long time. And here's the distinction that we need to be able to make with long labor. And that is, is progress being made, albeit slowly, or are we in a situation where things are actually not happening? Not sometimes a little challenging for somebody who's never done this before to figure out, but it's a question that you can ask. Mm -hmm. If somebody is suggesting that things need to move along. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you mean by that? Are things moving along, even if it's very slow? Or are things actually not moving along at all? And what does that mean? It's a good question to ask. There's a difference. 
And then there's also mention of amniotomy. Amniotomy is just the old fashioned phrase for that is breaking the bag of waters. That's considered a way to do something that was, would naturally take place at some point in labor or at birth anyway, which is to release the fluid. And hopefully by doing that, set up a chain of events that would lead towards a more progressive labor. If labor is kind of stalling in some way, it's meant to augment the labor, to get it moving along. And it is one of those things one might try before you then try medicine to get this party moving. Okay. We've asked, please consult with us about any proposed medical procedure and allow us time in private to make a decision. It does seem like common sense, but it isn't always experienced that way. If a, if a doctor or a nurse or a midwife come into the room and say, well, things are happening, blah, 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 and we think we ought to do blah, 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 and then they stand there, it can be a lot of pressure, right? And it's a moment when you want to ask some questions. Well, if we do nothing, is there any medical concern for doing nothing? Is the baby in danger? Is the mama in danger? If we wait another two hours and assess again, these kinds of details are important. <laughs> and getting the opportunity to take a break and chat it out with your partner. That was so much good information so far. I think we're at a place now where maybe we want to wrap up. Sounds good, Sarah. We'll, we'll pick up where we left off and talk about things like baby and mother monitoring next. Yeah. So we've got more of section one and then we'll go through sections two and three. And in the meantime, we'll have the entire birth plan, birth intentions document on our website, search for fourth trimester podcast, and you will find us. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Take it easy, everybody. You can find out more about Esther Gallagher on estergallagher.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast in order to hear more from us. Thank you for listening, everyone, and I hope you'll join us next time on the fourth trimester. The theme music on this podcast was created by Sean Trott. Hear more at soundcloud.com slash Sean Trott. Special thanks to my true loves, my husband Ben, daughter Penelope, and baby girl Evelyn. Don't forget to share the fourth trimester podcast with any new and expecting parents. I'm Sarah Trott. Goodbye for now. Hello again, bicycle man I know you're doing all that you can I wrote the song, simple and true I wrote the song, I'll sing a song for you You got your wheels, you got your gears you ride around town without any fear You got your pedals, you got your brakes You always wear your helmet for safety's sake